0: welcome to the smart driving cars podcast thank you for joining us i'm fred fishkin along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at princeton university alan kornhauser hi alan good morning fred good morning and on top in the latest smart driving cars newsletter No was i think the california public utilities commission has given autonomous vehicle companies such as Cruise and waymo the okay to operate around the clock and charge passengers for rides. I think all of our listeners and viewers should read your comments and then read the statement you submitted in writing to the PUC. But we're gonna cover them here now, I think, to a great extent. Alan, this is certainly a big deal.
1: Uh this is a big deal because um because it was it was close. And and you know it's it was close. Uh, the vote was 3-1. I think 2-2 makes it fail. I don't think it passes a 2-2. It needed at least 3-1. And um, and this is the California Public Utility Commission. And, and, and giving rides is, is a utility. It is, it is a public service. It is, um, and so therefore, um, it, it's not just like uh, you know selling lemonade or ice cream or coffee or even cars. It's not just a, a consumer item that you know people should necessarily go out and compete head to head on. It, it really is that that if if one can can provide um, not necessarily a monopoly but an organized Effort to to um, to use um, uh, public facilities to provide utility um, to a community, then um, then it requires some some oversight by an entity uh, to make sure that everybody um, behaves in the public interest because they're being given uh, uh, rights. Uh, to be, provide this this efficiently, as opposed to everybody trying to provide it themselves, um, you know that's why you know you can't have necessarily a hundred utility electricity companies competing to give you electricity or 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 um, natural gas or other services. It, and it should be it should be a, organized as as a one. And so the uh, public utility does have this public oversight to ensure that uh, those that that will be entrusted to give this service, in fact, um, you know, sure, uh, they're allowed to make a profit, Uh, they're allowed to operate without subsidy, Um, it costs money to deliver services, Um, they do have a right to charge for it, uh, but to do it appropriately and in the process of doing that, not... Not endanger the population. So, you know, they have a right to be there making the decision as to whether or not these entities can provide uh, this opportunity um, to give rides uh, to San Franciscans um, to help them improve their quality of life. <laughs> That's really what rides are all about. One doesn't go someplace unless one thinks that uh, by going there, they're going to be better off. Otherwise, they'd stay home. <laughs> you know, uh, sure. You know, every time, every once in a while, we cruise down Main Street in our convertible or in our Lambo or whatever, <laughs> and the rides, the, the enjoyment. But you know, ninety nine percent, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we're just trying to get to someplace because because we're going to be better off. We need to go to have a doctor see us. We need to go. Pick up something. We need to go learn something. We need to go enjoy something, um, and we need a ride. And so uh, here, the the California Public Utility Commission was faced with, oh my goodness, here is this new gizmo out here that 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 wants to give rides uh, to our citizenry, and um, uh, are they really going to? give reasonable rides at reasonable prices and provide reasonable services, or are they going to create, oh my goodness, who knows what, chaos? And so, yes, it's it's a tough question and a tough deliberation, and um, they've deliberated. And of course, I guess I'm I'm really pleased personally. I Hey, I don't live in San Francisco. I go there as rarely as possible. Um, I'm happy for them. I got, I think they're. I think San Franciscans are going to be better off, have a better quality of life as a whole because of this. Um, but that's that's my personal opinion.
0: Well, you listened in here, right, to uh, <laughs> a lot of what took place, and you said you were you were deeply moved by many of the comments.
1: Well, of course, I was. De- I mean, I, you know, I've tried to read. I've tried to, you know, at least get a perspective. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing is, is that um, I think I have a perspective, and so I I wanted to share it with the commission. And um, and given that they were actually giving you one minute to do it, um, I almost flew from, you know, New Jersey to California to do it and fly back. But, um, you know, I guess I guess uh, the value to me of doing that um, uh, uh, for which, you know, what's the value to me, just just uh, personal satisfaction and happiness trying to do the right thing I wasn't being paid to, to, to give a, a, an opinion uh, probably some people might pay me to not give it I don't know I should have put it up for bid but no that's just kidding around but um, you know the, the, the my time and costs and so on that I would incur in doing it guess what I decided to do I decided not to go <laughs> wasn't worth it <laughs> cost of the rides would have been too much um, but they did afford uh, those of us uh, who uh, really couldn't make it there. I guess they wanted to hear from us. Thank you for, for allowing us. It was public comment, and they, they did take a, a broad definition of the public, not only San Franciscans but anybody in the world, and you could call in. And the process they had was you called in and you registered, and I guess you, call, you got in line. <laughs> So, um, uh, um, and uh, I called in. Uh, I called in actually a, probably a half hour before the uh, before the meeting started, and they put you on hold. They say you know and give you ask you your name and put you in line, and I put I put my name in line. And so I had I was waiting to be called. I didn't know where, uh, but uh, of course they should offer first dibs and in, in in providing public comment to those who actually. You know uh went to the commission hearing uh those of us who are coming in by phone you know hey it's getting them back the line that that's okay um, of course um but then that gave me the opportunity to listen to essentially every one of the the one minute comments one minute one minute 15 seconds or so comments that everybody in, in the house was making and lined up and making and they were moving. I mean, there are opinions, there are strong opinions on on and good opinions on both sides of this. Um, and it's not that the those speaking didn't want things to be better for San Franciscans. They just thought that the balance of the whole thing, when one looked at at the trade off between between opportunity and cost, um, some came out on that the cost was greater than the opportunity and others came out that the opportunity that was greater than the cost and so it it was you know it was close and it is close we're talking about the future uh, none of us know the future and the future is tough to call uh, if any of us could call it, I guess, it, it would be boring if we really could call it, trust me. Uh, it's much better having it be uncertain. Thank you, God, for making it that way. Otherwise, life would be pretty boring.
0: So you, you listened in a variety of comments. There were people with disabilities. There were Uber, Lyft drivers who were concerned for their welfare going forward. And there were others who were proponents of this, talking about what it might be able to do for them.
1: Yeah, and some people who have experienced it said, hey, this is liberating, this this, this allows me to do things that otherwise I wouldn't be allowed, uh, I couldn't do. Uh, this is allowing me to get to someplace where I don't have other ways to go or better ways to go. I mean, what's interesting about transportation in, in traveling is any time we choose to travel, we pick the best. <laughs> and only the get, best gets chosen at that time. There's only that one reality. There might be all sorts of op- other opportunities, but we choose the best. Sometimes we walk. Why, hey, because walking's the best. Sometimes we take a plane instead of walking. have <laughs> been a long walk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But there, so the interesting thing is you know, that the, it, it only becomes relevant when it pops to the top of of, a, of somebody's decision making. If it never pops to the top, then nobody's going to use it. It's going to sit out there and just whatever.
0: So these companies now, including uh, Waymo and Cruise, have the ability to offer. Full-time service, around the clock, pretty much as many vehicles as they want to roll out for this, it sounds like. And what is your advice to them? Not that they've asked for it necessarily, but what would would you tell them about going forward, how they need to operate to make this successful?
1: Well, I I think, you know, I think what what the request was, appropriately, was to be able to provide I'll call it, they haven't stated it this way, but to give rides to people, anybody, 24-7 in San Francisco. Now, I'm not sure what, I should look it up as, excuse me for my ignorance, if the Chicago uh, Transit Authority operates their their elevated and trains uh, 24-7, but I know the New York City the uh, subway system operates 24-7, and I don't believe any other system operates 24-7. I don't think Muni does. I don't think BART does. I don't think the buses in San Francisco does. As far as I know, the only entities that operate 24-7 are maybe Uber, Lyft, which is, you know, somebody has to get out of bed to do it, and taxis. Somebody has to get out of bed to do that one too. And so, the, you know, all of a sudden having some, some entity out there who says, hey, you know, some people need some rides also at night. I mean, it, when, when crews first started, they said they were going to give rides between midnight and 5 a.m. or whatever it was overnight, whatever the hours was. Everybody, oh, they're only operating when it's easy. They can't do it during the day. My goodness, they're operating when really nobody else is out there and, 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 and trying to f- fill a need. So not, not, hey, maybe San Francisco doesn't want to become a 24 hour city, but every once in a while at night, some people need a ride. They can't give themselves a ride. And here, you know, Cruz was saying, hey, pick us. We'll give you a ride. And so in a sense, this, to me, this is what they're asking for. And they, they were asking for, it and, and they were asking to do it within an operational design domain, we'll use a technical term here, of basically all of San Francisco. San Francisco is really just a, a square, seven miles by seven miles. So throughout the, the, the 49 square miles of San Francisco, anywhere you want to come from anywhere you want to go now i think it's fantastic that they want to go any from anywhere to anywhere i might suggest some different ways to operate so that there they people can more readily use them and more people can use them and and i think what i'd like to do is I, you know i i i prepared um i got to say a minute summary of it uh, during the 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 te- the the, the um, mm-hmm. um, the session when my name was called uh, uh, from the from the phone lines, but I, I think I'd like to really go through what my four minute version was that I'd submitted in writing uh, to the to the commission because I think it in, uh, it, it sort of embodies kind of where mm-hmm. I happen to stand for whatever uh, interest there is in that uh, on this matter. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's like do that. Just re- let's do that. So my name is Alan Kornhauser. I'm professor of operations research and financial engineering at Princeton University and faculty chair of its Princeton Autonomous Vehicle Engineering activities. The application of automation to improve mobility and quality of life in cities has been the hallmark of my career as a teacher and researcher, which started in January 1971. Mm-hmm. I'm about to start my 52nd year at Princeton. I speak today in support of the deployment of safe, affordable, equitable, sustainable, and high quality mobility to improve the lives of all San Franciscans. Such mobility is not widely available today, neither in San Francisco, nor anywhere else in the world. It can be delivered only through the deployment of vehicles that remove the high cost of the driver, which represents more than 50 percent of the cost of a ride whether it is in a taxi or in a bus operation of driverless mobility has been demonstrated by crews and waymo they have shown that vehicles without drivers can deliver safe demand responsive rides 24 7 but thus far focused only on the technical solution and not the real value to society affordability is the real value proposition because the cost at scale for driverless mobility is really inexpensive, especially in comparison with the true cost of a driver to wait around to be summoned, then to get a customer, and finally to give that customer a ride. Ride sharing further cuts the cost in half, which I strongly recommend that you endorse. The low cost of giving a ride can enable a fair structure that supports a profitable operation that is attractive to all but the very very poorest residents for whom free service could readily be afforded by philanthropy. We find that on a typical day San Francisco's San Franciscans would like to take about 2.1 million person trips that originate and terminate in this seven-by-seven, 49-square-mile city. Each is longer than a 10-minute walk, half mile. The average length is 2.9 miles. The 90th percentile is but 5.4 miles, and the longest is 8.5 miles. We estimate that roughly 50% of these trips can and are taken by people who have the wherewithal to drive themselves. Of the other 50%, less than 10% take transit, taxi, Uber, Lyft, or limo. The rest get a ride from a family member or friend, or many don't go because they can't or can't afford a ride. The biggest societal reason for the CPUC to approve this service is the improved quality of life that driverless mobility services can deliver to those who can't afford a ride, can't get a ride from a family member, or who find themselves in the unenviable situation of having to ask for a ride from a neighbor or a stranger. We believe that a well-managed fleet serving these customers can achieve vehicle productivities of 100 person trips per day per vehicle with average vehicle occupancies of 2.0, a total cost of under $0.85 per person trip mile, and a break-even fare without subsidy of $2.43 per person trip. That is really affordable. A fleet of 5,000 vehicles could readily serve 500,000 person trips or 25% of the daily San Franciscan person trip uh, market. And this excludes tours, which on top of that could be continued to be served by Uber, Lyft, Taxi, or in combination uh, with this driverless service. With respect to impact on labor, by far the largest elimination of driving by humans is to the family and friends of those who gave most of the rides that would switch to this service. Those who now use taxi, Uber, Lyft or limo can largely afford these services today and will likely continue to use those services in the future. Those customers who are conveniently served by public transit will continue to use public transit. There may not be any loss of existing jobs. While many new jobs are going to be created to maintain and oversee driverless vehicles that will enhance the quality of life of all members of the community, especially those who today do not have access to affordable, high-quality mobility. Most relieved are the family members and friends not giving many of the rides. Thank you.
0: Really, really well said. And I guess you could plug in many, many communities in the U.S. and and around the world. Uh, sub- say the well, same thing.
1: Well, the, that's what we're finding because the the analysis that we've done for um, the the. 49 square miles of San Francisco really is similar to the analyses we've done for Trenton, Nashville, Jacksonville, Buffalo, uh, you name it. And, And what one finds, what exists is that, yes, people on average take or would like to take to have a reasonable life because... They'd like to be able to go to cello lesson. And they'd like to be able to go to a ball game. And they'd like to be able to go shoot hoops. And they'd like to be able to go to the store. And they'd like to be able to go to work. And they'd like to be able to go to school. And they'd like to be able to go visit, visit friends and so on and so forth. You know, three and a half person trips a day. Other than just walking, you know, the neighborhood. Okay. Those trips – you know, the way, the lifestyle that exists in the US and really certainly much of the Western world and I think much of the world is, is similar, okay? And of those three and a half person trips a day, and if you look at the cars in the United States and the number of cars out there, you know, really it's about half of them are done by people who can drive themselves. The other half have, have to get a ride. They have to get a ride. Could be in a bus, could be in a taxi, could be in an Uber, could be in a Lyft, could be in whatever. But how do they get a ride? Many of them, you know, family, mother, father, sister, brother, friends, neighbors. And if you can't do that and you can't walk it, then where are you left? You probably don't go, and so what happens in the you know when you don't go is you haven't gotten the value out of going. I didn't get to go give my one minute in person because you know it was too expensive for me to do it. Would have liked to. Now, if it had been really easy, I would have done it. That's, you know, that's that's 3,000 miles each way. Now you're in a city that's seven by seven. You know, yes, you could have a 10 mile trip. Turns out in our database, longest one is 8.5 miles, I guess, you know, I haven't really looked at it, but that's, hey, that's what it is. You look at the distribution. Oh, you know, each of the 2.1 million of them that happen, that we think, you know, happen on a typical day. In San Francisco, and that's why it comes out to be, you know, the the average trip length is less than three miles. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the operation they're talking about in San Francisco, it's only seven by seven. Okay. So really, the longest trip really could be just 10 miles. All right. That's That's what the nature of this problem is. We look at Trenton. Trenton is, you know, eight square miles. We include a little bit more on the ed- edges. You know, the, the initial move system you know, maximum trip length is, you know, is four point seven miles or something like that. Okay, it's just it's what it is. Okay, to be able to now serve and provide easily now. We think or what what the move stone approach is is instead of. Requiring a cell phone or requiring you know, call them up and come to me. It's kind of nice, but I think I think it provides more of a service if you if you go to a point that's not far away to be able to get the service, and then it, it being able to take you, and then you do the final pieces yourself. Why? Because that's going to allow some ride sharing and that's where the ride sharing the average vehicle occupancy of two comes in for san francisco not that you have a whole you know 53 people in a bus just get an average vehicle occupancy in two of two but by people sort of aggregating themselves to a location that's easy reach but now if, if it's going to be location to location type of service, you don't need a cell phone. What do you need a cell phone for? What do you need an app for? What do you need any of that for? You wanna go, you walk, it's on demand. You don't have to schedule it. Vehicle's waiting there. Or easily comes readily when you need it. (sighs) Nothing, again, (laughs) I take the elevator analogy of this thing and put it, you know, Spatially in the in the seven by seven, and if we you know sort of the, the the rule of thumb that we kind of use is a kiosk or whatever hub whatever you want to call it bus stop, driverless vehicle stop whatever you want, you know probably serves something like a quarter square mile. Why? Because you know it's, if it's if it was in the center, every point is is within within a five minute walk. Which might be, you know, a nice comfortable walk. That's the max. A lot of others are might even closer, and so it's easy to get to. And it's just there. And my goodness, you know, Uber, uh, Uber, Cruise, and Waymo are going to know you as a customer. Because, because the people that are going to end up using this are going to be people not, not one and dones. They're going to be people that use you maybe not every day or maybe a couple of times a day. They're going to know you. Now, you might not you know, be a fan of face recognition, but they'll recognize you. You walk up to a kiosk, they're going to know, hey, Fred, hi. How you doing? Where'd you like to go today? And let's say you speak who knows what, you're going to be able to interpret that. You're going to say, whatever language you're speaking or whatever sign you want to give, and say, okay, you know, you get into vehicle, get into the gray one, I don't know, identifying characteristic of a vehicle. We'll be leaving in less than five minutes. Why might they want you to wait for five minutes? Well, somebody else might show up where you're going so they share a ride. Oh, I can't share a ride with Fred. What's gonna happen in there? Hey, they know what happens in there. <laughs> they have data. They're gonna... <laughs> of course. And if you misbehave in there, you know what does some what have science said that in, in in many <laughs> in many um, restaurants or whatever or place. No shoes, no shirt, no service. I would think the Public Utilities Commission would allow them to put that on, on the window and be that terms of engagement. No shoes, no shirt, no service. You misbehave in this. Maybe we'll let you do it once and then we'll put it, you know, not twice. See ya. Okay. Why, well, why do we have to treat people like this? Well, we unfortunately have to, if you look the 40,000 that we kill every year on the highways, guess what? 90 some percent of those are because people misbehave. And NHTSA hasn't gone out there and said, no more misbehavior. No more speeding. No more tailgating. No more drinking. No more using your your cell phone. They could do that. Okay? They have it. California Public Utilities Commission. I think they could ask. And I think Waymo and Cruz might be very happy if they said, Hey, you can do. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Were their equivalent. You misbehave in this. You ride in this in less than five star customer, maybe four star customer. Too bad. Go do. Go use something else. So I mean. <laughs> Geez, the standard has the the San Francisco standard this weekend. Oh my goodness, talk about clickbait. Talk about, you know, terrible reporting. They 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 said to the world, and it I don't shouldn't even give them give them the benefit of, of report. Well
0: oh. they, they they want to focus on misbehavior in the vehicles, what people are doing and what cetera, people are doing. They- Guess what? The, before, before that, it was, you know, how how the vehicles were misbehaving from their perspective, you know, when encountering emergency vehicles and such. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so, so the, so they the media misbe- has to the media has to do a job in covering the real issues, which you've gone into at length here and many, many times before. And you also point out in the newsletter that perhaps. Cruise and Waymo and, and and other companies as they join in need to do a better job of educating the public, and that's got to be a continuing process. Not just okay, we have the permission now from the CPUC, but we need to make sure that there's a welcoming environment going forward.
1: Yeah, I think uh, no, I'll I'll change that a little bit from what you said. I don't I don't think it's Waymo and Cruise telling people teaching people. I think they need to engage with their customers to really see what their customers would like to have. work with them, listen to their customers and make sure they do that and then get and that will get them the buy-in, so that then together with their customers, they can put on, look, we're serving our customers. This is what any business, or any good business does. Any good business really looks at not only trying to get the customers to see what they have to offer to be the best thing since sliced bread, but also to listen to their customers to make their offering look like the best thing since sliced bread. Okay, and I think it's 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 that cooperation. Don't want don't want Waymo and Cruz to be missionaries to you know preach to 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 engage in their gospel, but to look with the people that they're trying to serve, and how best they can serve them. I think that's what they need to do. And to me, the, the, that was our whole concept with respect to the kiosks in Trenton and so on, was to get an engagement with the community as to what kind of service they would like to see. What would be attractive as a place for them to go to and come from? What, what is is reflective of their um, uh, quality of life desires? Okay? and so there's, there's as much listening as there is talking I, I know i i have a real problem personally with that I, I talk to them sorry sorry folks i don't listen enough but but really and if they do that then then this evolves and then i think one sees one one doesn't want to get service using your cell phone who come come to me now why not just show up why not know that, hey, Fred, hi. Okay, yes, you have an account with us. Hey, I mean, you are a five-star customer. What can we do for you today? Okay, how do, How can we show respect to you? Okay, then maybe you'll show respect to them. But if you don't, you get one shot. Second time, boom. I guess, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to be a truant officer. <laughs> But in a sense, you know, the, all the stuff that's in the standard today or, or yesterday about all this stuff, tell us something that we didn't know. Well, People, there, 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 will, there will be many
0: stories, Alan, about how people's lives have been changed for the better.
1: Absolutely. That are very worthy of telling. I, look, what, what's motivated me and, and motivated us is, you know, going down to the trenton soup kitchen at ten thirty on a monday morning you know sitting there and listening to a recruiter from from the, the robbinsville amazon facility trying to recruit uh, people coming to the soup kitchen for lunch to come to work there and and you know People who really could use a 15 or 17 or $20 an hour job would change their lives. Okay. And and why why don't they take these jobs? Because they can't get there reliably. And Amazon might hire them, and all of a sudden, you know, who knows when they're punching in. And you might say, well, you know, Amazon should accommodate people who can't punch in on time and be reliable, and they should just use them and put up with it. <laughs> okay, yes, maybe, but they, you know, they've got to, if they don't run a well-honed operation, they're, they're going to fail. So they need people to show up on time. You don't show up on time, you have to fire them. And my goodness, why aren't they showing up on time? Well, oh my goodness, they've got to catch a, a 5.37 a.m. New, uh, New Jersey Transit bus at the end of the line and it catches a shuttle and so on. And if they miss that or whatever, and it takes them, what, what, what would be a 12 minute trip would take them, takes them an hour plus. I mean, it's like, are you kidding? And, you, and, and now, guess what San Francisco is going to have the opportunity to do? Have anybody who lives within the 49 square miles, who needs to go to a job within the 49 square miles, is going to have, even if they did a kiosk type of situation, less than a five-minute walk to, five-minute walk from, ride to get between the places. That's what they're going to have available to them. That's essentially as good as the guy with his Lambo. Wow. And what's it going to cost? What do we say? Uh, 85 cents a person trip or 85 cents a person mile. On average, or on average, if you charge a fare of a, whatever it was, two forty-three for the ones short as well as the long ones, two dollars and forty-three cents. So basically, for five bucks a day, they can get their mobility to go out and earn over eight hours, twenty fifteen to twenty bucks an hour. Geez, Amazon might even pick up the tab for that which in fact is a real opportunity and Amazon should. Probably if Amazon picked up the tab of $2.43 a ride for each one of its workers, they could probably reduce the amount of parking spaces they have to provide for those people to come to work there. And probably if you went through the numbers, they might end up being ahead. I don't know, I'd have to go through the numbers, but it certainly wouldn't cost them much. And that's why in my testimony, I said, for those who really can't afford the 243, I, there must be a philanthropist in how rich is San Francisco. There's got to be a philanthropist that says, hey, I'll pay for that. That's so cheap for somebody to have a high quality ride. I mean, if, if the San Francisco, if Mooney goes in there and looks at what the subsidy is per person trip on their on their system, huh, I don't know what that number is. I'm sure somebody will r- write in to me, I hope, let, let me know. I'd like to know what the number is. Uh, my, uh, I'll take an over under a 243 and I'll take the under. I mean, I'll take the. Uh, I'll take the. Wait, what, which one do I want to take? I'll, I'll bet it's not under. <laughs> That's what I want to say. This
0: Never is mind. like the Price Is Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the Price Is Right. I'm trying to. Yes, right. <laughs> I bet it's greater than two forty three.
0: Meanwhile, Alan uh, threw this one in. The Arizona Republic reports that Cruz is expanding its coverage in the Phoenix area creating a service area of 100 square miles, including portions of Chandler, Tempe, Scottsdale, and Phoenix. The rides now are are open to testers who've registered, and they're free, but obviously the plans are to do this paid kind of
1: service. Well, the the rides can't be free. I mean, come on. This is just during testing, right? Well, fine. It's fine for testing, and it's fine free for testing. But look, if it, if it, it... If the price is is free, guess what the value is? Zero. Okay. <laughs> most it's most Sustainable goods. business model. It's either. not as sustainable. <laughs> it's not going to be around. You can't, you can't, you know, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to get to work for the next three weeks during the demonstration. Then what do I do? Okay, so talk to me about then what do I do? And yes, it's nice to be able to go anywhere, okay but in fact if you look at that area people don't go from anywhere to anywhere there are concentrations on those and again you know th- to me the the ride hailing model is is not the right model okay it is the right model for those uh, for those who you know who already have too much mobility oppor- opportunity okay for those for those that don't then you know it's just too cumbersome. I go I go into a tall building uh, to use the elevator. It doesn't ask me to pull out my cell phone. It welcomes everybody who can show up. Plus, you know the real one of the real attributes of having a, a place for this is that you know at least Cruz is out there design designing a vehicle, the origin vehicle. It has a floor height. You could make the curb so that it matches it perfectly, so that the then the ish, issue of wheelchair accessibility, or accessibility by the visually impaired, is like not trivial, but much easier. You know, out in the middle of the road, going out, dropping you off here, there, whatever. Who knows where. Sure, one could do it. One can't do it well. And what one's looking to do is to do it really well, to do it in a situation in which you can have vehicle productivities that are 100-person trips per vehicle per day. Why does it need to be 100? Well, it doesn't need to be 100, but it needs to be a number like that. Because if the vehicle is going to cost something and the vehicle is going to have to be depreciated only over a finite length of time, and if, if uh, that operation has to have some um, capital, that capital cost associated with it, you've got to distribute it over a lot of trips. Otherwise, the cost doesn't get down to 85 cents per person mile, full of depreciation of assets and so on, cost of customer acquisition, uh, cost of oversight maintenance, reporting to the CPU seed, uh, holding of public uh, meetings with everybody, to keep everybody happy, and all the other things that you need to do. We think.
0: It's going to be fun to to follow, and obviously, we would welcome the opportunity to talk to both Cruise and Waymo as these services expand and come on and talk mm-hmm. about uh, how it's going with the benefits, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I think they're, they're setting uh, you know they're setting themselves up to be uh, w- w- why be Uber Lyft? Uber Lyft has less than one percent of the person trips. That's not disruptive. What do you want to be, another one percenter? I don't think so. I think you want to be at least a 10%-er, a 20%-er, 30%-er. percent million person trips a day. Need a ride. Other than walking in San Francisco every day. And then plus the tours. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. You want 1%? Go. Sure. Be Uber, Lyft. Great. You have the opportunity to be so much more. <laughs> they don't like me, Fred. <laughs> they don't like me.
0: Well, they, they should. Well, whatever. Giving, I'm just giving what, them sage who, advice, who, Alan. <laughs>
1: who, who, who am I? I'm, you know, I'm just some academic and some, you know, whatever backwater entity. Who knows?
0: <laughs> Moving along, a couple other quick headlines. Uh, from Bloomberg, uh, this headline, everyone wants to work at UPS after Teamsters deal. Uh, lots of people searching for UPS jobs after the new tentative agreement raises part-time wages to $21 an hour. Full-time drivers at the end of the five-year contract will make around $170,000 a year in pay and benefits. They're going to be Amazon openings because Amazon people are going to be applying to UPS.
1: Geez, they're going to be <laughs> Princeton University professors who say, oh my goodness, I mean, I, I want to I want one of those jobs.
0: It's a it's a pretty big deal, I suppose. Uh, and it, of it course- is a
1: big deal. I don't want to say they don't des- they they deserve it. I think they deserve it, but they're going to have to work for it. Okay, I am sure that UPS is going to say, of course, we're more than happy to pay you 170k a year, but you got to earn it. And so what they're going to do is they're going to look at the processes in which they deliver the value to their customers. And they're going to have to look at those, they will look at those processes and they'll say, okay, where can, where do we, can we put a human and get 170,000 bucks a year's value out of them? And where, geez, we should put automation because it's not going to cost us 170 thousand bucks a year for that automation. Guess what's going to happen? You know, I I can't imagine that they're going to go to a situation in which they have more drivers than they have now. Or they they're they're going to have to change their not their business model but their operations model the processes, and the the, change in processes are going to mean, hey, okay, you that earns 170, you do this work, this is really tough because we can't find the automation that can do this, okay? But in any place where they can find the automation that can do this, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna do that. That's That's the fiduciary responsibility to their stockholders, and their responsibility to their union members is to pay them one hundred seventy thousand bucks a year. Great, that's the new equilibrium. Okay, but that equilibrium, the operation at that equilibrium, is likely to be different than the operation that exists today. Maybe not, but again, my. The over and under, or the which way, I might bet. I don't bet. Luckily, if I bet, I wouldn't have anything. I have very little as it is. I would have nothing because I always lose. But anyway, you get where I'm going.
0: On the Tesla front, uh of course, there's a, a link to the uh, latest from Rob Maurer and Tesla Daily, and you have lots to say about a report in Electric, which is headlined. New damning footage shows several Tesla vehicles on autopilot crashing into police.
1: Yeah, it's because the Wall Street Journal put out a video showing all this stuff. And, you know, and again, I think they're missing it. They're, they're thinking that autopilot doesn't recognize flashing lights, and they should, maybe. But I I... I I've, argue, I've said this so many times, I must be wrong, okay? But Autopilot is an advanced driver assistance system that's supposed to help the driver make it more comfortable and convenient in driving a car. It's supposed to keep it in a lane, maybe change a lane, great, and not, not drive into the rear of traffic moving ahead, I think. And, I, and probably if one looks at it, it does that exceedingly well, exceedingly well, okay? But the key is, is its job is to not crash into things ahead of it that are moving. things ahead of it that are moving are in a lane. Uh, exceedingly large percentage of the time, those, those things are other vehicles, cars, bicycles, motorcycles, maybe even people moving in the lane ahead. Okay, and if they're moving in the lane ahead, that thing must be so close to a hundred percent perfect. It, it, it'd be frightening. Okay, absolutely working. Why? Because because the sensing systems, whether they be vision, radar, lidar, can detect a uh, an entity ahead, and one of the not only can it it it, it identify that as an entity ahead, it has a great opportunity of measuring how far ahead it is. And what the relative velocity speed is of that entity is to the nose of autopilot. It does that almost perfectly. So that if the speed of the object relative to the nose ahead, okay, is zero and it looks and the other thing that it knows essentially perfectly is how fast autopilot is moving. It has a speedometer. It's essentially perfect. Okay, it has GPS and has all kinds of stuff. It's essentially perfect. It's moving at 27.62532 miles per hour. And if the relative speed between its nose and the vehicle, the thing that's just dead ahead is zero, guess what that vehicle is moving at? Whatever that number was that I said, 27.7, whatever it was. It's moving. If the speed at which it's, appro- it, it's approaching this vehicle is, is now um, less than its speed, okay, then it means that this vehicle ahead is, you know, getting farther and farther ahead. Man, don't have to worry about crashing into that sucker. It's moving away from me. If the speed at which it's approaching is now is now such that you know I'm gaining on it. Who I better have to start watching out for it. Okay, I'm gaining on it. And that's where intelligent cruise control works really well. I don't know how many of the listeners have intelligent cruise control. You're on a highway following. Mine, mine you know, works beautifully. Just keeps me in. It keeps me in. You know, we're just, it's beautiful. Okay. If the approach velocity is equal or essentially equal, to how fast I'm going, I think all these things say, Whoa. "Whoa, how could that be? Oh my goodness, it's something that that is not is stationary ahead. That can't be right. I'm on a, I'm on a roadway where vehicles move. There could be somebody heading towards me. I could be gaining on somebody." Somebody could be going faster than me. There's something dead stopped ahead. Can't be. I can pass under that or I can pass over it. Absolutely. Why? Because essentially all these things that one sees when one's going down the road that are stationary and ahead, guess what you can do? pass over them or pass under them. Drive on the Pennsylvania Turnpike sometime. Oh my goodness, there must be an overpass, at least one overpass every mile on average. Guess what an overpass is? That's an object ahead that is stationary. Man. I can't start worrying about that and whether or not I break. I came over the crest of the hill and all of a sudden I see this thing. Oh, you know, of course. I mean, look, how many other cars went ahead of me and they had to have passed under. Otherwise, they would be a pile up, a pile up, a pile up, a pile up, a pile up. So uh, if I'm driving around Eucaly Princeton, with trees overhanging all the streets guess what my system sees every one of those tree branches guess what it is it's a stationary object ahead of me well, you know some truck went under there and ripped off the rip, rip, ripped off the leaves you know 6 months ago i can pass under that if I'm on a roadway and the roadway curves and there are, there's there's a guardrail on the side. Guess what that guardrail looks like at the curb? Stationary object dead ahead of me. I'm going to turn before I get there. Forget about it. The, the, the pain on the road is going to have me turn. Forget about it. If all of a sudden I'm following a car and the car moves over and there's a stationary object ahead that appears, these systems aren't smart enough to say, oh my goodness, I may not be able to pass under that. Yipes. Doesn't matter whether it's flashing, splashing, bashing, whacking. Who cares? Boom. Because autopilot is an advanced driver assistance system. It's not an automated emergency braking system. That's the job of the automated emergency braking system to stop that thing. Unfortunately, None of these automated emergency braking systems really work. I mean, Consumer Reports has, has reported that, IIHS has reported that, and NHTSA, I mean, maybe sometime it's going to say, hey, yo, these systems got to work. They don't even work if you're traveling 12 miles an hour. They certainly didn't. Maybe they finally do. You're traveling 70, automated emergency braking is nothing. And NHTSA hasn't said, look, the ADS, the, automated, the advanced driver assistance system, have to be closely coordinated with the, with the, with the um, automated emergency braking system. They told them to do that. They've even let them do the exact opposite of that. How many times have we said on these projects, what happens in my advanced driver assistance system i tap my brakes and guess what it interprets that as turning the darn thing off and saying here take this hot potato it's all yours i'm not going to help you anymore it's on you so that in case i didn't hit my brakes hard enough and i go slamming into the back of a flashing red lights you know it's my fault or not then <laughs> hitting the brakes even though it could have been in there and said oh my goodness I won't turn the brake off because hey look Kornhauser you're really a bad driver I should continue to monitor and see if the brake should be turned on and to help you stop so that you don't crash into that thing it says no I'm off I'm done not mine are you kidding Me tapping my brakes signals to you that you shouldn't help me brake anymore. Me tapping my brakes tells you I don't want to accelerate anymore. It indicates that I'm still interested in decelerating. And if I'm not decelerating enough, please help me. That's what it says. And I'm tired of the Society of Automotive Engineering saying, oh, no, no, you you tapped the brakes. You said, I want to do it. So, you know, one of these guys who's drunk, guess not, not paying attention, which he's supposed to, guess what? He, you know, I don't know if he tapped the brakes or not, but, you know, he wasn't alert that, hey, I'm hitting the brakes. And now all of a sudden it's autopilot's fault. What? Are you kidding me? Look, these systems require everybody read the fine print. Da da, da. You Can't misbehave in these things. If you're misbehaving, and darn it, each of these companies should not say to the Nitsa, "Hey, look, if our customers misbehave, we want to take the toys away. We're not going to let them have it, and we're going to keep the money." They shouldn't have misbehaved. We don't have to return it to them. We're tired of the misbehavior. We're tired of them having sex in the car. We're tired of them them just, you know, texting. We're tired of them, you know, road raging. We're tired of them drinking. We're tired of them speeding. Okay? (laughs) Everybody hates me, Fred. I don't know how many times do we have to say this yet the wall street journal has oh look oh, my goodness how terrible the you know what, bull that person who is drunk in that car does not get hey dog dog ate my homework um relief from not being responsible okay and his, his insurance company should say, hey, yo, not on us. <laughs> hey, you want to assume, go after that person's wealth. Whatever. I don't
0: know. When, and I, when I, you and maybe even your students look at the, before we wrap up here, yeah, look at this automatic emergency braking problem. Where do we stand in in terms of having the technology, the AI, or whatever you want to call it? It's not AI. Don't call it AI. It doesn't take AI.
1: It doesn't take AI. Why do you wait? Why can't
0: can't the cameras—I called it AI because I'm wondering—the cameras need to interpret what they see. And if they're seeing, they how can they not know the difference between an overpass and a truck across the highway ahead oh, well, without? Well, no, you, you that's, tell me that's, you tell, that's what, really that the is.
1: Oh, OK. So, hey. To be able to determine how big the hole is ahead. What the perpendicular distance is from the roadway to the bottom of the overpass is. OK, you have to be able to know where the, the, the front of the overpass is, which, you know, perfectly you just don't know where to drop the perpendicular okay because that's a road there's no marking on that now maybe maybe one could 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 argue to the um, the uh ashto or somebody that in fact at the beginning of every overpass, there should be a line at the bottom, a line, so that you could then determine how far the line is, which you can see, and where the front is, and then you can measure the perpendicular, okay? But otherwise, you can't. The optical illusion, what and LiDAR can't do it either, I don't believe measure how big the hole is. And radar bounces under things and bounces back. So you've got to deal that, with that. So it is really hard, I think, to be able to determine what whether or not you can. Otherwise it would have, I think. Okay. So when when Joshua Brown approached this tractor trailer, stuck across the roadway, the radar in that system probably bounced underneath it, and so on. I mean, it thought it, or it saw, it, I can pass under that. No, it decapitated them, All right, and so assume we could do it for an overpass. Do you do this for every overhead sign? You put a line down there. We're going to have lines across all of our roadways. Do you do it for every you know hanging traffic light? There are all kinds of junk that's, that's in front of you that is stationary as you drive down the road. We know to disregard it. In fact, we assume we can pass underneath it. Although we probably begin to slow down a little bit and say, hey, maybe we're not going to hit that thing at, you know, at 70 miles an hour. We're going to cool it a little bit. And the problem with automated emergency breaking the wake I understand, it. I probably don't understand well how it's implemented. It waits until 1.6 seconds time to collision. It is measuring at each incident 30 times a second what the time to collision is to the objects ahead. It's measuring that. But because it doesn't want to disrupt... It doesn't want to provide any discomfort to the driver. Oh, my goodness. It doesn't want to slow down because it's approaching an overpass or a sign. You know, it doesn't it doesn't slow down.
0: How are how are companies like Cruise and Waymo in deploying their robo taxis? How are they dealing with some of these issues?
1: Well, I think the way they're dealing with it is they're saying, look, we're going to just drive on local streets and we're not going to go out there and do the, the, the freeways at 65, 70 miles an hour. OK, and in fact, they probably in San Francisco, if you want to serve the two point one million, you don't have to get on a freeway. You don't have to go above 45 miles an hour, probably. And if you're at that speed, then once you get close enough and you can deal with it, then you can start measuring and then, you know, it becomes obvious whether or not you can pass underneath it. The problem is, is when you're going 70 miles an hour, 80 or whatever, or, you know, the speed limit is whatever, and somebody put the darn thing to go at 90 and did that misbehavior, that's a whole different problem. And so, you know, there've been some comparisons of, uh, you know, the standard did a comparison of a, of a, of a Uber Lyft trip with a with a Waymo trip, and said, oh, the Uber Lyft used the freeway and got there faster, and uh, well, it didn't, and whatever. I mean, you know, it, it shouldn't be uh, that's 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 Uber <laughs> Lyft's problem. Then they have to go on the freeways and go, especially if one's doing a uh, fifty by fifty. Or on a seven by seven fifty square miles, you know, longest trip is eight point five miles.
0: So solving this uh, issue with automatic emergency braking.
1: Well, but the, the, they all have automated emergency braking, and the automated emergency braking, as long as you start, if you start, if you start slowing down then you actually never get to 1.6 seconds, the collision. And you guess that but you just have to start slowing down a little bit earlier, okay? But I, you know, I don't know. I mean, somebody has to ask the car companies why they sit there and say, oh, yeah. We're going to wait until 1.6 seconds, and then we're going to tighten your seatbelt. We're going to close this. We're going to put the bolster down, make sure the engine doesn't come in, chop off your legs, and so on, and and slam on the brakes.
0: But your point is you don't want to mitigate uh, what
1: happens when there's a
0: crash. You want to prevent the crash.
1: I want to prevent the crash. And the best way to prevent the crash is slow down. Doesn't mean you have to be slow all the time, but start slowing down a little bit earlier. And coordinate it with with the advanced driver assistance systems. These two things are separate. I don't think they talk to each other. It's crazy. I think. <laughs> well,
0: I guess we should tap the brakes here,
1: Alan. So. <laughs> I think we should chop the brakes here. I think again. Uh, congratulations uh, to everybody uh, in San Francisco. CPUC, you had a tough job. It's not easy. Uh, thank you for your deliberation. Um, I appreciate that uh, personally for whatever it's worth. That I think you made the right choice. I think you're going to be happy you made it. And of course, crews in the waymo make sure that they do end up feeling they're happy to do it. Don't abuse it. Terrific. And of course, yeah, you- I'm sure you won't. Okay.
0: And we Got want it. to remind people they can uh, find the, the full comments in, in the latest newsletter at right. SmartDrivingCar.com. That's where you can find us. You can also find us on whatever podcast service you prefer, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google's SoundCloud. You can get your smart speaker to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at Textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe. Thank you.